I had the good fortune of getting very close to Maharaj and serve Srila Prabhupada together. During the last year, 1977, Srila Prabhupada went back to India and at that time, Tamar Krishna Maharaj relinquished all his managerial responsibilities, especially in America. New York was his own and various other zones he had. And he handed over the responsibilities to other senior leaders. And he went to Mayapur. Just before the opening, I think it was around February. And he just went there to search him. At that time, Shri Prabhupada's physical condition was not so bad that it kind of uh, gave anybody an impression that Prabhupada may leave the planet. At that time, no one really thought that. But Samantha Krishna decided to just go and be with Shri Prabhupada and serve him. And he remained with Shri Usually, those days, a GDC member used to become Shri Prabhupada's secretary. And they used to rotate one month, two months, they used to serve being Shri Prabhupada, and another GDC member would come, become Prabhupada's secretary. But that time onwards, February 77, February onwards, this Amal Krishna Maharaj remained with Sri Prior to that it was Rameshwar Maharaj and then Brahmananda Maharaj. And Tamal Krishna Maharaj came into Kolkata. I was remembering my first meeting with Tamal Krishna Maharaj. Or first seeing him. Let me see if I can. Mark the pages that are better.
<clears throat> One morning, I saw a bright-looking personality walking with Bhavananda Maharaj. There was something striking about this devotee. I just could not keep my eyes off him. Tirthapal, Tirthapal was another American godfather of mine. We used to share one room together. So we were very close. So Tirthapal and I actually were there together and then we saw this very brilliant looking personality and was, his appearance and there is something about him was so striking that I just could take my eyes off him. Tirthapal was standing next to me say that it was Tamal Krishna Goswami. Quote, he is one of the most prominent leaders of our movement. Unquote. I had heard about Tamal Krishna Maharaj. He was a hero of his kind. He had joined in San Francisco when the movement was in its infancy and almost right away assumed a leadership role. Since then, Srila Prabhupada had called on him to lead his most important projects. When the movement was going on America's West Coast, Prabhupada appointed him President of the Los Angeles Temple. When ISKCON spread to England and George Harrison became involved, Prabhupada sent him there. When Krishna Conscience was gaining foothold in India, Prabhupada made him the governing body commissioner. GBC there. And when Prabhupada experienced difficulties in getting land in Mayapur, it was Kamal Krishna Maharaj who overcame the obstacle and acquired the land. Then he organized the greatest book distribution and devotee making program in ISKCON, the Radha Ramadar Traveling Sankirtan Party, which was distributing thousands of books and making hundreds of devotees. Just the sight of Tamal Krishna Maharaj filled me with awe and reverence. I offered my obeisances from a distance. In the afternoon when I was with Sri Prabhupada in his room, so I was already serving Sri Prabhupada. During my first meeting with Sri Prabhupada, Prabhupada gave me the service to translate his books into Bengali. And those days, although Sri Prabhupada had about 6,000 initiated disciples and it was very, very difficult to even get close to Srila Prabhupada. I have, because of this service, I had the good fortune of being approaching Srila Prabhupada anytime I wanted because I had the excuse that I had to show the translation <laughs> to Srila Prabhupada. And Prabhupada wanted that, actually. I used to bring the translation, I read it out to the Prabhupada. Prabhupada would correct me, sometimes Prabhupada would appreciate it. And so <clears throat> I was with Srila Prabhupada at that time in his room. One afternoon when I was with Srila Prabhupada in his room, Maharaj walked in and Prabhupada's face lit up with a bright smile. Right away they began to talk intimately. Tamal Krishna Maharaj told Prabhupada that he had relinquished all his managerial responsibilities in order to be with his divine grace and serve him. Srila Prabhupada was very pleased to hear that. 
Then they talked about the deep programming issue in America. Uh, how many of you know what is deep programming? How many of you don't know? Uh, what is deep programming? How many of you want to hear about deep programming? <laughs> you see, when devotees, when the young Americans started to join the movement, their parents, mainly the, the affluent parents of those devotees, wanted to get their children back. And one person, his name was Ted Patrick. He started a program called Deep Program. By the way, Ted Patrick was a criminal. Uh, he was a gangster. And he used to kidnap the devotees and torture them in the name of brainwashing them or in order to rectify their brainwashing. The point was, Iswan is brainwashing these devotees. And so, and this was a major issue and a big court case was going on in America many and the government was actually in favor of this people because they also didn't want the young Americans to become Hare Krishna. So Prabhupada was very concerned about this deprogramming, what was going on. Many, many devotees were just being forced to leave the movement and go back to their parents. Is there anyone who has been deprogrammed here? <laughs> Okay, so, uh, and it was a big court case going on. So Tamil Krishna straight, straight away started to, started to discuss. Prabhupada actually asked him and they started to discuss. Then Prabhupada actually wanted Adhikeshav to come. Adhikeshav was also spearheading this, this battle with the, the programmer. So I'll skip that part. service to translate his books into Bengali. And then, when Prabhupada was in Mayapur, Prabhupada, one day he gave me a stack of Bengali letters and he asked me to reply to those letters. So when he finished the Bengali stack of letters, then Prabhupada gave me a stack of Hindi letters. <laughs> and he wanted me to to reply and so uh, and then one day 
Prabhupada uh, appointed me as the secretary for Indian affairs. And that was the time Prabhupada told me, and Prabhupada called, at that time Kamal Krishna Maharaj was Prabhupada secretary. So Prabhupada told Kamal Krishna Maharaj that he was appointing me as the secretary for Indian affairs. And then he asked me to move into so this is then one morning after I had taken dictation from Srila Prabhupada and had him sign the completed letters, he told me, I am appointing you as my secretary for Indian affairs. I was surprised to say the least. I had been told that Prabhupada appointed only his most intimate and efficient associates as his secretaries. But I was just a new devotee and he was giving me the most important assignment in the service. I felt both incredible joy and overwhelming gratitude. Srila Prabhupada called Tamar Krishna Maharaj, told him about the new appointment and suggested that I move into the secretary's room where Maharaj was staying. Tamar Krishna Maharaj put an affectionate hand on my shoulder and said, quote, Yes, Srila Prabhupada, unquote, and took me to the room two doors down. Like in my pool, there was Prabhupada's room, Prabhupada's bedroom. And next to that, uh, there are two rooms. The one just adjacent to Prabhupada's room was meant to be Prabhupada's secretary's room. But those days, there was no computer or uh, electric, electric typewriter. So the typewriter is a manual typewriter. And you know, it makes sound cut, cut, cut. <laughs> so, and Prabhupada's secretary is used to type all day with letters. So Prabhupada used to feel disturbed because of the sound of typing. So Prabhupada shifted his secretary to the next that room next to that, and uh, his his uh, personal servant at that time, Prabhupada's personal servant was Harisori Prabhu, so he was staying to the actual adjacent room. So that's why two doors down, and took me to the room two doors down. The room next to Prabhupada was to have was to have been his secretary's room. But the typewriter had made too much noise. So Prabhupada had suggested that his servant move in and his secretary take the room next door. There were two beds. Maharaj said, I, I could use the one at the far end of the room and told me to fetch my belongings. When I informed my dear friend and roommate, Deeprapad, he was at first, at first silent. Then he told me that he had always felt that I was very special and he embraced me and thanked me for my association as a roommate. I could see that I could see that he was feeling bad and I knew that I too would miss our time together. It was quite an experience to be close to Tamakrishna Maharaj. Although we are sharing a room, I still held him in great reverence. In fact, he commanded this kind of respect from practically everyone in his 
but he treated me with warmth and affection. I would bow down to him and he would embrace me. He had been my hero even before I had met him and this closeness was like a dream, one that I had never imagined would come true. Maharaj got up very early each morning, but he refrained from switching on the light so as not to disturb me. When he was in the bathroom, however, he would play tapes of Srila Prabhupada's lectures. That's what he would do, do every morning. He would go to the bathroom and he would play tape. Those days there were tape recorders, and so he would play Prabhupada's tape. And he would play tapes of Srila Prabhupada's lectures, and that would inevitably wake me up. I would just lie in the bed, listening to Prabhupada's transcendental voice until Maharaj was done, at which time I would rise and get ready for the day. Maharaj was extremely regulated and organized, waking up every day at three o'clock, bathing and then chanting his rounds. He would finish all his rounds and be ready to start the Prabhupada by dawn. He organized me also, insisting that I have a specific time for translating, replying to Prabhupada's letters and attending to his divine grace by just being around him in case he needed anything, making sure that I always had enough time to work on translating Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita and Bengali. That's the first book I started to translate. Rooming with Maharaj was one of my most memorable experiences in his He always treated me lovingly and he trained me expertly to serve Shri Prabhupada at the highest standard I could manage. In his presence, I was, con- I was constantly learning how, uh, learning new and important things about Krishna consciousness and serving Srila Prabhupada. Because of his seniority, I wanted to serve him too, but he always refused. Whenever I tried to serve him prasad, he would insist on me taking prasad with him. If a devotee serving him made a mistake, he would get upset and chastise him, but he never chastised me. (laughs) When I related my experience, to Bhavananda Maharaj, he commented with a smile, You are fortunate. Tamal is known for his temper. That is why he is called Hot Tamal. <laughs> anyway, I can see that he has accepted you as his man. That's what Bhavananda is saying. That is Tamal. When he likes somebody, he'll do anything for him. And you are one of those fortunate souls who has won his favor. I was delighted to hear, I was delighted to hear this and told him, quote, you are also one of those fortunate souls. I noticed what a deep friendship you have with him, unquote. Maharaj smiled and said, quote, yes, that's true. We developed a deep friendship from the first time we met. He is a real person with a golden heart. That's why Sri Prabhupada loves him so much." Unquote. Later, Kamal Krishna Maharaj told me that he had grown up in Harlem 
a rough neighborhood in New York City, where he had often had to confront the local gangs, and that this upbringing had forced him to become tough. But I also saw how tender and loving a person he was, and the way he served to the program was an incredible example. I could see how much confidence Prabhupada had in him and how much he depended upon him. Well, this is one portion I'll just read. It's not related to Tamil Krishna Maharaj, but just I think probably you'd like to hear that. One evening, I was in Srila Prabhupada's quarters, chanting while he was in his bedroom. In Mayapur, how many of you have been to Mayapur and seen Srila Prabhupada's quarters? Yeah, most of you have. Like uh, two rooms at, uh, next to each other. One was Prabhupada's bedroom and then Prabhupada's office and Darshan next. So Prabhupada was in the bedroom, I was in the Darshan room, Prabhupada, and I was chanting. We, one of us always had to be with Srila Prabhupada attending him. So that was my time, my shift at that time. So, <clears throat> one evening I was in Srila Prabhupada's quarters chanting while he was in his bedroom. I was chanting quite loudly as if Prabhupada would be pleased to hear me. <laughs> After a little while, however, he called me in and told me, don't chance so <laughs> I was thinking, Prabhupada would be so pleased to hear the chanting. <laughs> so nice. Prabhupada smashed me there. <laughs> okay, so I'll just. This part, huh? actually, this because I was with Allah Krishna all the time, serving Shri A good part of this book actually is about Allah Krishna. Okay, this is also a. Kamal Krishna Maharaj asked Srila Prabhupada many questions, some about management and some on spiritual topics. I was amazed at how, would, how he would ask them. And I didn't think I would ever be able to question Srila Prabhupada in such a manner. One day I was sitting in Maharaj, Maharaj's office chanting while he was editing letters that he had typed on Prabhupada's, Prabhupada, on Prabhupada's behalf. When he finished, he looked up and saw that I had been watching him, and he just smiled. I was already feeling deep appreciation for him, and when he smiled at me, I couldn't con contain myself. I said, you are so brilliant. Whatever you do is so perfect. Tawar Krishnamara said, why do you say that? And I said, the way you ask Srila Prabhupada questions is amazing. 
and I admire your intelligence. And Tamil said, it's not a matter of intelligence, it's a matter of sincere desire to know something. When you have a sincere question, just ask. And who is a better person than Srila Prabhupada to answer your questions? I told him about a time in Mayapur when I had asked Srila Prabhupada what the condition of India would have been if Mahatma Gandhi had become a devotee of so, <clears throat> Prabhupada had seemed annoyed and commented in Bengali. <laughs> commented in Bengali, quote, if I had a wife, then I could have a son. <laughs> that he's saying, if Gandhi became a devotee, then what would have been the condition? So Prabhupada answered the thing, that if I had a wife, then I could have had a son. <laughs> like, uh, it's a big if. <laughs> so since then, I, I was feeling so bad. So <laughs> that's the question I asked. So from that time onwards, I didn't dare to ask any question. <laughs> uh, in other words, there was no need to speculate. I told Maharaj that I had felt so stupid that I had not dared ask any questions since then, feeling that it would only further reveal my stupidity. Taman Krishna Maharaj said, don't ask a question just for the sake of asking. Ask to sincerely know something, that is the art of asking questions. Don't ask questions just for the sake of asking Ask with a sincere intention to know something. That is, and that's a very important thing I learned from Ramakrishna. And don't ask questions just for the sake of asking. Ask to sincerely know something. That is the art, that is the art of asking questions. <coughs> There is another part I will just read and then I can. We were in Rishikesh at that time. On most days around midday, the devotees would go swimming in the Ganga. How many of you have gone to Rishikesh? So it's a very beautiful place at the foothills of Himalaya on the bank of the Ganges. It's one of the holy places of India. Actually, Prabhupada's health condition was quite bad. Prabhupada was in Bombay. And one day, two very important persons came. Sriman Narayan, he was the ex-governor of Madras, and Ramakrishna Bajaj, who was the head of the Bajaj Industries. So, and while they were talking and when they got to know that Prabhupada's health condition was not so good, they suggested that Prabhupada go for a change. They used the expression change. (laughs) And they suggested that Prabhupada went to Rishikesh. 
because it's on the bank of the Ganges, it's a holy place, and it was summertime, so that weather there is very pleasant at that time. And so Prabhupada liked the idea, and they actually arranged for Shri Prabhupada to stay in, at that time that was the best building in Rishikesh. So a building right on the bank of the Ganges called Ganga Darshan. So, <clears throat> so it is in Rishikesh. Oh, there at that time there was, uh, we had a small group around Srila Prabhupada, uh, Tanya Krishna Maharaj, then Sri Vikram Maharaj, uh, another two sannyasis were there from South America, Birabha Prakash uh, Swami and Pramana Swami. And uh, another uh, devotee who was serving Tamakrishna at that time, Kauridas Pandit, and Jadubhar Prabhu was there, and Pradhuna Prabhu. Pradhuna Prabhu was Prabhu's Sanskrit character. Just a few of us were there serving Sri Prabhupada and Rishikesh. And I, by the time I started to cook for Sri and so I used to cook, and I used to cook for everybody actually. Yes. So I used to cook and everybody used to take Prashant. And I used to, after serving Prabhupada, I used to, like by the time everybody else went to the Tantra swimming, and I used to join them. And sometimes in the afternoon, we used to go out walking. So this is one such afternoon. On most days, around midday, the devotees would go swimming in the Ganga. I usually had to stay back to cook for this, cook for and serve Shri Prabhupada. But sometimes if I went, as soon as my service was done, the devotees would still be there. We would walk up along the bank and then jump into the cold water and let the current carriers downstream, all the while laughing like a bunch of little bunch of little kids. One afternoon when Upendra was attending to Prabhupada, Tamakrishna Maharaj invited me to join him for a walk. We took a winding path through the forest, crossed Lakshman Chula, the island suspension bridge that stretched across the Ganga and followed the road uphill until we reached a boulder facing the river. The late sun bathed the foothills in golden rays and the only sounds were the rumbling of the river, rumbling of the river below and the light chirping of birds. For a while we just sat in silence appreciating the serenity. Then Maharaj commented, quote, You are so fortunate to have taken birth in India. Just by being born here, you are naturally close to the spiritual culture. You are naturally close to the spiritual culture. The waste is so degraded, there is no concept of purity there. Unquote. Then I said, I may have been born in India, but I was. Jai Shri Radha Kalachandri. 
جای ششی So then I told him that I may I have been born in India, but I was brought up with the conviction that the West was the best. Sometimes I even wished I were born in the West. Tawanishumar <laughs> said, that may be, but your environment does not allow you to degrade so much. You can't imagine how degraded we were. <coughs> then I say, the other day a devotee came to see Srila Prabhupada. He was lamenting how degraded he was. But Srila Prabhupada told, me, told him that this was superficial since as soon as Prabhupada had called him, the devotee had come and joined him. Yes, that was Bhagavad Then I said, You have been, I told Kamakrishna, actually, you have been sent by Shri Bhagavatam Sri Thakur to assist Shri You are not an ordinary devotee. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made you take birth in America and Europe to assist Sri Prabhupada in his mission to spread Krishna consciousness all over. Tamar Krishna Maharaj half jokingly said, How did you figure that out? <laughs> <laughs> and I remarked with a smile, just an, just an intelligent observation. Not only did Lord Chaitanya send you all, but he made all the arrangements so wonderfully for Srila to come to America at a time when the scene was perfectly set for him spread Krishna consciousness. After the Second World War, America reached the height of material prosperity. But you all, the youth of America, became disillusioned and realized that money could not buy everything. And you started to look for a positive alternative to find real happiness. At that time, Shri Prabhupada came to America. What then happened with the similar austerity as a divine arrangement of the Supreme Personality of Godhead to fulfill his prediction? Maharaj looked, looked at me right in the eye, his gaze, his gaze piercing. He did not say a word. I started to feel uneasy, a bit embarrassed, and began to explain. Actually, this is not really my own assistant. Sometimes devotee, and he didn't let me finish the sentence. There is no need to apologize. He stopped me. What you say is both correct and profound. Anyway, so <clears throat> and after coming here, I will. These memories of the Krishna. 
right? We have developed some wrong tendencies, and those tendencies have to be rectified. And the thing is, just like a dog is trained, we are being trained. When we do something wrong, we get it. We get a slap. When we do something right, we get rewarded. In this way, especially when you come across a devotee of the Lord, then you get to know about this reality. That this tendency to enjoy the material nature is an illusory concept, is an illusory endeavor. The more one tries to enjoy, the more one ends up and the real enjoyment is not here. Real enjoyment is not there by gratifying our senses. The real enjoyment is in being connected to Krishna. Because Krishna is the reservoir of pleasure. So when we become connected to Krishna, then automatically we also enjoy. So this understanding comes only when we come across a devotee. Because only the devotee knows this Those who are not acquainted with the devotional service or the teachings of the Vedas, they think this is material material. Even the Karmakanda, even the Vedas, the Karmakanda section is actually giving them the prescription. You want to enjoy, go ahead enjoy. But that is simply to bring them to the point of understanding that this is a place of suffering and there is no So the point is that the tendency to enjoy the material nature is always there because the consciousness is being drawn by the senses to the object of the senses and the tendency is to derive some pleasure out of enjoying those objects. But if, as a devotee, or by coming in contact with the devotee, we get to know that that's not the way to go. <clears throat> Example, a traveler in the middle of a desert, who lost his way, dying of thirst, he sees a mirage, and he thinks that there is but no matter how much he runs after the mirage, the mirage runs very fast. He'll never be able to quench his thirst run after the mirage. But then comes a person and he reminds him, this is a mirage. By running after a mirage, you'll never be able to quench your thirst. Come, oasis is there. And he shows us the way to the and not only that, he pulls out a bottle of water and says, right here. <laughs> and that is how we get we become convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that yes, this person knows where the real water is. So when the temptation of enjoyment in this material nature is there, we should remember that actually that is just a running up in usually will never be able to quench our thirst for enjoyment. But the real enjoyment is there where the water is. And that water is Krishna. Developing a relationship with 
Does it answer your question? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> so, we have a question. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much for coming to Dallas. And thank you for the divine example that's your life and, and how you committed yourself to Sri Prabhupada and your life and who you are. Thank you so much for that. Your book is beautiful. I want to tell everyone I've read it and it's it's stunning. It's unbelievable. It's a very, very beautiful book. And I know that you worked on it with Tamal Krishna Goswami's brother, Kalachandi yeah. Prabhu. And I just wondered if you'd share a little bit of that. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, I'll give the background of this. You see, it was in 1979 when I came to New York. And so one evening, uh, I was invited to go to a house program in Long Island and so I was asking my godbrother who was taking me there and so what should I speak about? Then he said he had so much association with Shri Prabhupada especially in the last days so the audience would like to hear that. So I, so that evening, uh, I gave the class on my days with Shilpa. And while we were driving back, he was telling me how much he liked it. Then he went to the temple and we and those who were present there started to speak over the class. And the temple president next morning told me to do a class on Shri to the devotees. So that class went on for three days. Then I went to Toronto and Vishwakarma Prabhu, our temple president, he requested, he heard about me giving a chance on Prabhupada. And so this is how, you know, that I, you know, wherever I went, I started to speak on Shiva Prabhupada on their request. And often, you know, this way, I used to speak on Shiva Prabhupada. But originally, I never thought of writing a book. But it was about three years back, something about others kept on requesting me to write. And so one of my disciples, I asked one of my disciples uh, to transcribe those classes that I gave. There were quite a few. There was a podcast also as to where you speak on Shri So there were quite a few. And this girl actually painstakingly Recorded and collected all those episodes. It was um, at that time it came to about 64 pages, 65 pages. Then I started to work on that 
and it went over 350 pages. Because you know, when you speak, you don't go into the detail, go into details. And also when you're writing, you know, many things that come up that generally you don't really manage, you know. And anyway, so it came to about 350 pages. And then there was a need to edit it. So I spoke to Gauru and it was Gauru Prabhu who actually suggested Karachan to go. And uh, so I told him, why don't you ask him whether he would Because I didn't feel like straight away asking him. And I told him to And yes, he did a wonderful job. That 350 pages came to 250 pages. Many things were taken out, many things were edited. But one thing he did actually is he insisted that I speak about my past also, which I didn't want to do. Like, you know, because I thought that it's about Shri Prabhupada, so, you know, why should I write about myself? But he kept on insisting. That people would want to know that. So the first chapter actually came due to his request and gave some background of what I did. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how Kalakandipu's all. And he is an amazing devotee, I'm sure you all know. And the way he edited it was so nice. Like, Actually, I, a few months ago, I came across a quotation from Paula Neruda, the Chilean revolutionary, actually, Paula Neruda. And he is actually writing that when I read my writing, I begin to wonder whether it's me who wrote it. So I wrote Kalachandra with that quote. So that's how I feel when I'm reading this book. <laughs> Is it me? <laughs> because, you know, the way he edited it so wonderfully. Thank you. Any other questions? We just celebrated the 50 years of ISKCON. How do you see the next 50 years of ISKCON how, and how we are planning for it? You know, it's very difficult to predict, actually. But one thing we know, that it will spread all over the world in every town and village. <laughs> See, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And when he says something, that cannot go in vain. Like, it, it's bound to happen. It's his words. He said, 
this movement is going to spread all over the world in every town and village. And it's bound to happen. How it will happen, we don't know. He'll make all the arrangements himself. Just consider, I mean, what he did through Shiva Prabhupada. Prabhupada himself used to say that this is the greatest miracle that the world has ever Like people are, you know, eager to see miracles. But this is the best, biggest miracle. And how did it happen? To see, like, I mean, the sequence of events. You know, Prabhupada made Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Sharshi Thakur in 1922. And he asked him to take up this mission of spreading Krishna consciousness through English language throughout the country, other countries. And Prabhupada took that instruction so seriously that he quit his job. I mean, it was a major mistake. Like, he was 26 years old, only 26 years old young man, he was married, he had a, he had a son, little son, he had a very coveted job, he was the manager of the pharmaceutical company, and just probably quit his job, just to fulfill the instruction of the spiritual. And then, but then you see, the Prabhupada is struggling without success. I mean, just from 26, year 22 to 65, it was a continuous struggle for Shri But then, at the age of 70, he comes to America. How did he come? in a cargo ship, literally no money in his pockets. He didn't know where he was going to stay. He didn't know whether he had any proper food to eat there. In that condition he comes to America. And then, just ten years time, Krishna consciousness movement spread all over the world. So isn't this a miracle? Or isn't this the arrangement of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Like often we discuss that. You know, had Prabhupada have come to America five years earlier, Prabhupada would have had this. Prabhupada came at the right moment when America was just ready to receive him and his teaching. And then we see, like, America, England, France, Germany, Switzerland, Spain, Australia, you know, just started to, you know, it was literally a Hare Krishna explosion all over the world. So, you know, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had his plan. Now we have to be willing to become a proper instrument, instrument in the hands of Sri And who makes it happen? And who knows, just as he made that arrangement, he made succeed in America. He can create another situation. After all, Krishna consciousness movement has spread in every book and corner of this world. And now it's just a matter of freedom. 
expanding. It will happen. Yes. Hey, Shamara, it's just so nice to see you again. Um, you are here representing the heart of Shiva Prabhupada, the GBC body. And my question for you is that we have many parents and um, teachers here that are involved in raising our children, raising the next generation. Shri Prabhupada has said many times that he wants us to raise the children to become leaders of society. So in your experience with Shri Prabhupada, in your interactions, what, how does that show itself? What does that mean? That the children um, of, the, of the devotional community should be raised as leaders. What, are, what leadership qualities? Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Very complex question. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll try to answer. You see, as I said, like it will happen. Krishna consciousness will spread. Devotees will become committed. Generation after generations. And in the beginning stage, there may be some failures. There are various reasons the movement was very young and we may have failed. But through those mistakes, we must learn not to make the Like, for example, you see, to bring up children, what is the most essential? Thing in their growing up stage. Mother's love and But unfortunately, those days, not that Prabhupada was aware of it, but the leaders often they did, they sent out the mothers to collect, distribute books or collect money. And the children were neglected. So that's one thing we must learn. The mother's main service should be to take care of the children. And you know, the more the children get the mother's love, the stronger becomes their character. Therefore, the first element is mother's love. Um, Haribhakti Vilas actually says that a child should be under mother's care until six or maximum eight. Then it's father's care. Otherwise the child, the boy, will become effeminate if it's too much with the mother. So, so after the age of six, maximum up to eight, the child is under mother's care. And so the, now the important consideration, both the father and mother have to become ideal devotees. Their behavior should actually influence their children. 
and then comes, you know, the leaders or the devotees in the movement. Their behavior should be exemplary. So this is how the whole society actually has the responsibility to bring up our children, generation after generation. We can, you see, I mean, I will honestly admit, you know, the mistakes that we made in many areas of those days. Not, not that the best devotees became the guru teachers. The best devotees were sent out to distribute books and other activities. That was a mistake. The best devotees should have been the teachers of the guru. Because guru You know, they had to become the gurus of those children. And guide them. So in simple words I would say that, you know, it is a collective responsibility that we all have in this work together to recognizing that our children are the most valuable asset for our And then also get other young boys and girls to join. It's happening, at least in India it's happening. Like hundreds of educated young boys and girls are joining. We started our temple in Ujjain about 10 years ago, about 12 years ago. We started practically just a handful of devotees I brought from my poor. But today we have 85 Kamishai. And out of them, 30 are, you know, well-educated engineers, chartered accountants. So the response is coming. The young Indians are coming, educated Indians are coming. Calcutta Temple has about more than 35, I don't exactly remember, but it's more than 35 IIT graduates and IIT is the most prestigious technical, technological institution. Like boys who didn't get admitted in IIT got admitted in IIM. No, not, uh, I'm not IIT, I'm sorry, MIT, yeah, Boston, yeah. So this, and the thing is, you know, there, you know, you get the cream of Indian youth are joining the IIT. They're very, very tough selection there. And these boys, you know, Pune Temple has something like, you know, 100 IIT graduates, you know. <laughs> And these, these are the cream of Indian people. It's happening. And when these boys join in, they're committing. They're committing to Krishna consciousness. Here is a boy from Switzerland, <laughs> Damodar Prashant, 23 years old. And uh, he's committed completely to distribute books. 
now of course he's taking care of me. Thank you. Does it answer your question? So you accept it. Now do does everybody agree with me that that's a solemn responsibility that all of you have to bring up our children collectively. Don't just leave it to the just the parents or to the Gurukul teachers or no, you have to collectively take care of their upbringing. Thank you. Hare Krishna. There's a question at the back. Somebody raised his hand. Yeah. Before you go there. Um, uh, one of the things that we're finding, like as we're preaching, reaching out amongst the devotees, there is this feeling that when Sri Prabhupada was here, he was such an empowered personality. And the devotees who joined at that time were so surrendered that people can take to the process of Krishna consciousness because of that. The today the challenges are sometimes there is doubt about the leaders, that the leaders are not as pure as Srila Prabhupada was. There are just more challenges. Society has become more challenging now. You know, we have these smartphones and people are always answering smartphones, they're always disturbed in a disturbed condition. In this situation, what is your response to people who think that the opportunity to preach and the, uh, the, the ability that we have now to preach is much less and therefore the movement doesn't stand the chance that it, stand, that it stood when Srila Prabhupada was here and his disciples, who were so surrendered, uh, as you were saying, were here, now that we don't see that into the future and so there's discouragement. What would you say to those devotees? Hmm. Well, no doubt that, you know, Prabhupada's coming to America was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's divine arrangement. Prabhupada himself said that, Prabhupada himself also said that, that his disciples were sent by sent by So it was a divine arrangement. Prabhupada came and this exceptionally brilliant personality. Like one day Ramishar Prabhu, those days he was Ramishar Maharaj, he was a GDC of uh, good parts of America like LA and also Denver. So one day he was telling the Denver Temple Indian Temple President. And he couldn't find a single temple president. A single devotee was qualified to be a temple president. And he commented that we within one year or so we went open temples and like, you know, like he was saying the same thing. Like when Prabhupada came, when Prabhupada was here, there was such a tidal wave of, you know, spiritual flood inundation. And and that changed after Prabhupada left. And the other thing also is many of the stalwart devotees 
of those days after Prabhupada left, they left the movement. So there was a major setback. Then there had been various other attacks from Kalyana, court cases, so in, in various ways our movement has been kind of you know hindered. The progress has been hindered. So anyway, so and as a result of that, you know, people are questioning about their credibility, ability, their uh, so in a way it's natural. But one thing is that this movement attracts genuinely sincere individuals. And those sincere individuals will take up the mission and push the movement forward. And the leaders of today therefore have the responsibility to attract them, to train them and make or rather facilitate them and make room for them to take this moment. Like this is what the leaders of today have to do. Like so many youngsters are like at least in India I'm seeing that you know, very, very terrified. So, so anyway, let's try our best to help this movement. And uh, that reminds me one incident also. Uh, these two people I mentioned, Sriman Narayan and Ramakrishna Bajaj, a uh, few days before Srila Prabhupada left this planet, they came to see him in Actually, by the time, you know, the word went around that Prabhupada was going to leave this body, leave this planet. So they came to see Prabhupada. At one point, they actually suggested that they wanted to speak to Srila Prabhupada privately. So Prabhupada told us to leave. And while leaving the room, I pressed the record button of the tape recorder. <laughs> Always, you know, there used to be the tape recorder near Srila Prabhupada. So I just prayed for that. And so later on we found out that he, he actually noticed, at some point he noticed that uh, this one of them, you know, that the recording, the recorder was on. <laughs> so anyway, so they asked Srila Prabhupada at that time, who would be his successor? And Prabhupada's response was that I'm not going to appoint any successor. I give the legacy to all my followers. 
whoever follows won't have it. So that is, you know, what uh, Prabhupada's vision was. This moment will carry on through his sunset. And we have to remember one thing, you know, as leaders, it's very important. Na dhanam, na janam, na sundar. You know, like, if the leaders become affected by that, then it's very unfortunate. Prabhupada himself showed, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself showed, the Goswamis of Vrindavan showed, you know, like, what it means to lead this moment. Mahaprabhu left everything. Goswami's Takta Turna Mashesha Mandala Then we saw Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, Bhakti Vinam Thakur Prabhupada, Gaur Kishodar Babaji. So, Make and, and Prabhupada also mentioned that the purity is the force. What will make this movement spread is through the purity. Srila Prabhupada has shown that, demonstrated that, that one pure devotee, what he can do. Just one pure devotee conquered the whole world. And what is Prabhupada's weapon in conquering? Spirit. He didn't have any other intention, any other intention. All he wanted is to fulfill the instruction of his spiritual master. Yes, Hare Krishna. Did you get the mic? Oh, okay. Yeah. So after that, yeah. Jay, Jay Shri Krishna. I'm born and brought up in India. I did my education. I visited most of the uh, Krishna conscious temples in Bangalore, Delhi, Mumbai, and everywhere. And I came here to US in search of like my future studies or be career or something like that. Mm-hmm. And now I got married and I have kids and everything like that. So my kid is born here and it's, this is her native place. And I was born there, that's my native place. So my question here is, so taking care of the parents is generally the dharma, right? And taking care of the kids is the duty. So at this juncture, uh, which, which should be balanced or which should be prioritized? Going back, now my, now my parents are old. So is it going back and taking care of the parents, the priority, or it's making the kids conscious of what is this and bringing into the realm of Krishna or like taking care of uh, a duty of them? Well, uh, at least with the parents part, you know, I can relate something from my own experience. You see, when I joined the movement, my father was quite affected by that. And then, you know, I had a heart-to-heart talk with him. I told him that <clears throat> materially, 
your elder son can take care of you. He's already taking care of you. But what I am doing is going to take care of you spiritually. <laughs> when you are here, your other son is taking care of that. But what I am doing will take care of you in the other world <laughs> after this life. And that convinced me. <laughs> so point is. If you really want to fulfill the dharma of taking care of your parents, now that you have found Krishna consciousness, give it to them. Right. How you are going to give it, it's up to you. You figure out. Most probably they are in India, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, consider, you know, like, you know, is there anything more precious than this? Krishna consciousness. <laughs> Tell me. Is there anything in this world which is more precious than Krishna consciousness? Devotion. That's the pinnacle. Because this will not only take care of your problems in this life, but this will take care of you life after life. So that is why it's very important that people that you care for will give you to them. And the same thing applies to your children. As you say, your duty. As a duty, you must make them into devotees of Krishna. There is a verse in Srimad Bhagavatam that is saying that Guru is not that Guru is not a Guru, that uh, husband is not a husband, that father is not a father, the mother is not the mother, a friend is not a friend. If he cannot deliver one from the imminent, So, I'll narrow it down. As a father, what is the most important responsibility you have towards your children? Deliver them from the cycle of birth and death. And that is available only to Krishna. So please fulfill that responsibility in both ends. Dharma end and duty. It's the balance that's really. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Shri Krishna. Yeah. I was along the same lines of Nishinamakabhu's question about the future and preaching at Krishna Conscious Movement. Just myself, because of my upbringing and everything. I've always, just always dreamt that, you know, after the great awesome life and everything, I want to be able to be a full-time pre preaching Krishna consciousness. So I was just wondering what your experiences are with some of the older devotees around the world. Are there people who are thinking like that and starting to retire and start to preach again? I mean, because I think that person is going to be a good wave also of Christian kind of spreading on them when older devotees yeah. can start to preach. Sure. Well, one thing that comes to my mind immediately is recently I was in San Jose, Silicon Valley. And I was giving the Sunday Feast lecture and there I saw the back one Western couple. 
to me it seemed like, you know, maybe just some questions, visitors, you know, or people who were becoming attracted to Then after the class, I got to, I was told that somebody wanted to see me. It was that couple. And then the man asked me, do you recognize me? <laughs> and then he talked to me, I told him when I was close to him, and then I just addressed him, pushed the Krishna Kapu. And at that time we couldn't really spend much time together you know, because there were many people around. So I told him that why don't you meet again tomorrow? So next day I invited him for lunch and then we spoke. You see, uh, you knew him, Pushti, he was a Sanasi birthday, very brilliant. He was also used to be called the secretary. And so, after Prabhupada left the planet, he actually left. He drifted away. He actually became a doctor, an orthopedic surgeon. And I got to know that he was considered to be the best orthopedic surgeon in that area. And he had done, somebody told me, the amazing thing that he had done that nobody could even dare to dream of doing in the background. Such a brilliant person with such a brilliant character. And he now retired. And, you know, like, not only himself, he told me that in that area, he lives in Santa Cruz. In that Santa Cruz, San Francisco, Berkeley, Silicon Valley area. There are about, not so much Silicon Valley actually, like Berkeley, San Francisco, mainly San, Santa Cruz. He said there are 800 programs there. And he said that hand, they all want to come back and do something for So maybe, you know, maybe this is going to be another wave, you know. Like consider, you know, these are all successful individuals. Like, you know, with all their experience, with all their, you know, expertise, if they come back, you know, now the onus is on us how to open the gate for them and how to make room for them. So, Another thing, you know, like in that respect, you know, like I just remember that often parents express their, you know, concern that children, when they grow, reach their chin, they go their way, they don't chant anymore, they don't have any interest or Krishna consciousness, they don't want to go to the temple. And you know what my answer is? Don't worry. In the in their formative ages, in the formative years, the those of Krishna consciousness that you have given them, that will work. They will go, they will experience this world, they will suffer, 
and then they will come back becoming doubly strong. <laughs> so, you know, like it, it will happen, it will take its own course. You know, like and that's why, you know, like I was just considering when in the formative ages, you know, like formative years, say from, you know, 3 to 8, 3 to 12. Give them a very good, you know, uh, injection of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> so that, you know, that it will remain. Because whatever you gather at that period of your life remains with you forever. And here they will be alone. Let them, let them experience ourselves. What are I mean, didn't we go through it and then came to Krishna consciousness? <laughs> so let them also make their choice. Why should the parents make the decision for them? Leave it up to them. Yes, go out. And suffer. <laughs> we say enjoy. We say enjoy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> go out and enjoy. <laughs> and then see. Uh, how relishable it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Hi Krishna. Hi Krishna. So nice to hear you speak. Very, very nice. Um, my question has to do, I work a lot with teens and youth, and also I do have relationships with many of the older devotees, even my own god brothers. Um, some of them are getting into their 70s now. And the question that always comes up um, is that there's no stability within ISKCON in America, at least. I mean, in India, you're saying all the cream of the educated youth are coming to the temple. But, um, for example, one of my older god brothers was saying, yeah, I mean, I'd love to preach more or, you know, take sannyas or, you know, really focus. In, in, and, but they said, but who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to take care of my older wife? You know, my old wife. And like, if I just walk away from everything, is that irresponsible? So that's one group. And then the kids. Like I'll give an example. I've been working with uh, Chiruku in uh, Spanish work, and he's now he's getting close to being seventy. So he wants to turn over his farm and the temple and his festival of colors. And the project's making like he's making about five million dollars a year net profit with that. But he said for the last three years, him and his wife have been canvassing all the younger devotees, younger couples to take it up. But the, the younger teens and the 20-year-olds are saying there's no stability. And he said they'd rather go to college, you know, get a college loan, have that to pay off, and then start in, the, you know, whatever minimum pay that they get, and then work for 20 years. They feel more stability in that than him training them and then giving them the keys and he said they can use the money however they want. So stability, that's my question. You're saying the cream of India is joining, you know, the top educated youth are, but what stability are you offering? Here even my older godmothers say they can't even pay the bills. <coughs> well uh, the immediate response that comes to the tip of my tongue is that our business 
used to depend upon Krishna. But at the same time, I also consider that we have to be practical. Like, we can't just say, I mean, if we are that depend, that uh, surrendered, then probably we can say, okay, Krishna will take care. But in most cases, you know, we don't really have that kind of, that degree of service. Therefore, there is, you know, we have to be practical. Like, uh, say for example, you know, in one hand, the householder, you know, have to make arrangements. Like, they should consider that, well, someday I'm going to leave home. Take Manaprastha and then Sanas. But I have my wife and I have to make arrangements for her. So they have to make a long term strategy plan for what they want to do. That's one thing. As an institution, we have to prepare ourselves so that when somebody wants to come in, and become fully committed, we have proper engagement and proper facilities for them. And as far as that other thing that you say that, you know, children don't want to take up the business of the parents, they want to go their way. Like, you know, these are, you know, certain, what what should I say, certain freak instances. I mean, if, you know, there is such a thriving business and who will naturally take care or inherit that? Naturally the children. And the parents have to have the responsibility to make them understand that that, you know, fine, you want to go to the university, go ahead. Do your studies, do whatever you want. But ultimately you come and take and in most cases I find that, uh, uh, especially the boys coming from uh, Indian background, they get into parents' business. Like in India, I have experienced, like one boy, father has a thriving business, the boy wanted to become full-time devotee, so I allowed him to join the temple. And then the father came crying to me, saying that he's only son. And so I told him to go back and take care of the father. And and the father became so pleased that he is giving regular financial, you know, on a monthly basis, he's giving financial support to the temple. You know, like. This is one thing in India, in America also. One boy, his father has hotel business. He's the only son also. Had a very good job. He's a very bright boy. Very good job. Uh, he even got a job in FBI. You know, he's so brilliant actually. But you know, ultimately he opted for his father's business. Father wanted him. 
So, the main thing is that, you know, in one hand we have to depend upon Krishna, at the same time we have to be practical. And ultimately, you know, no matter how, much, how many plans we make, you know, all the plans are not foolproof. Who knows what may happen? The thriving business of the father may collapse. The son may have an accident and suffer physical damages and things. And the boys, you know, like who had been so committed to Krishna consciousness, you know, may get to get into wrong association and start taking drugs. I mean, these are the possibilities that we can, it's beyond our control. But on our part, we should try to do, you know, as much as possible to make proper arrangements to secure everybody in this picture. Thank you all very much. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. So it's already nine o'clock.